Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Back once again with the Tape Trader Diaries. I'm your host, the Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H mark in show business. It's Mr. Carl Cambry. Hello, it's good to be back recording. We've got a lot to discuss in this one. Oh, yes. Very, very good pay per view. Bumper, bumper show today, that's for sure. Yeah. How's tricks, Kyle? Things are really good. I've been. Engaged for two months and I've not self-imploded, so that's all good. All is good over this side. How about yourself? Very good, yeah. Just had a very nice Easter break over the bank holiday weekend. Went to Bala in Wales with all of my old uni friends. We went around some of the local gardens and stuff there, and some of us went down to Port Merion, which was glorious. The weather was so well behaved, it was literally like I was in Italy. Wow. No, I mean, those pictures I've seen, it, it looked incredible. We went around Harlot Castle as well. That was really cool. Very nice. Today we are looking at the second ever WWF show I recorded for Mattelli. It's WWF Invasion! On July 22nd, 2001, taking place in the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. 17,974 fans in attendance and a whopping 770,000 pay-per-view buys from people watching at home. That makes it the most popular non-WrestleMania pay-per-view in history. Very good numbers. Absolutely, yeah. Lots of people in hindsight looking at the state of WCW's roster were kind of a, a bit worried about whether people would be interested in this, but categorically they put the money down I had not seen the episode of Heat that would have been on before this show so I had absolutely no clue what the card was going into this show the last bit of WWF that I watched before this would have been the Heat the week before where Vince was trying to convince Austin to be the old Stone Cold and he was walking out on him and then he goes to the bar, doesn't he? And has a bit of a chat. <laughs> My most overriding memory of this time, though, was I was being babysat by my next-door neighbour, and he had ITV Digital, so that meant he had Sky One, and he was babysitting his grandchildren, his, his granddaughters, but he still let me watch WWF Metal, and most of that show was recaps of the absolutely legendary episode of Raw, where... ECW turned up and then formed the Alliance and so much happened in one night. Those type of Raw episodes within the Invasion storyline are the ones that just hook people in because it was insane to think that you just didn't know what was going to happen. Absolutely. Everything got absolutely flipped on its head. It was unreal. It's funny looking back at the package videos because in the very early package videos, Raven, the Dudley Boys, all that sort of stuff, they were all in those APA meetings. <laughs> and then yeah. flip, you know, a few weeks later and it's like, well, they're now on the other side. <laughs> it certainly took things up a notch. 
We start this show with an epic black and white opening, which featured President Truman's declaration of war, intercut with clips of the WCW invasion. Vince declared, This is the most serious threat the World Wrestling Federation has ever seen. Shane McMahon declared, No WWF superstar is going to deny us our destiny. And then to cap it all off, Paul Heyman, the battle cry, Death to sports entertainment! Death (laughs) to WWF! Unreal. Yeah. The hype levels after watching that was just off the chart for little old me. And I liked that most of the footage was covert footage from house shows. So, like, all the lights were really low, but it was bright in the ring, and you got to focus on the wrestlers actually wrestling. It looked really cool. We say this every episode, don't we? If there was one thing that, no matter what era WWF, WWE are in, they just get the vignettes on point. Yeah, and it was another winner tonight. PlayStation presents Invasion! With a really cool set with a dual rampway. There was a lot of AEW vibes that I was getting from the stage. Yeah. I loved it. The crowd are so freaking amped. JR and Michael Cole are on commentary because all of the colour commentators had defected to ECW. Two play-by-play guys in one booth. The other reason that you had those two is that this was around the time where Jerry Lawler was sulking, wasn't it? Because... The cat had been fired and he was really mad and he was like, well, screw you lot, I'm not coming to work for you. Yeah, so that's what brought Heyman in. And then at this point they decided, we can't have the owner of ECW (laughs) doing commentary because it's a WWF show strictly and they're the invaders. How do you think they did as a team, like the chemistry, Cole and JR? All right, you know, I think... Around that time, we weren't necessarily used to the change in like partnerships. So it was different, but I didn't find a negative, really. I think what we see of Michael Cole now, he's clearly learned from the best. Yeah, I thought it was pretty effective. You don't really get much of the... I don't know, levity or a back and forth that you get from having like a real true blue colour commentator with a play-by-play person but you know it's just fine i think modern fans would be a lot more used to this than maybe we were because you know just think of aew everybody's basically a play-by-play guy on their team shivani and jim ross and excalibur anybody could chime in and run the match like run the description of the match going on yeah yeah our opening contest sees ECW's Lance Storm and Mike Awesome taking on the WWF's 2001 King of the Ring, Edge, and his brother Christian. Storm and Awesome were entering the ring even before their music had started, let alone Howard Finkel introducing them, which is a bit of an auspicious way to start. Yeah, that was so jarring. It was like, oh, the first match is here, they're already in the ring. (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, okay. Storm asks... If I could be serious for a minute. Nope. Edge and Christian interrupt because offbeat shenanigans. (laughs) Further shenanigans ensue because 
Christian is carrying Edge's King of the Ring trophy out of the ring and seems very pally with that. All will be revealed later. (laughs) (laughs) And Edge, when he slides into the ring, gets very pally humping the mat. (laughs) Very old school Edge there. (laughs) Quick note here, the Alliance aren't the Alliance yet. Instead, they get termed the Coalition. Mm, cop out. I don't know. There's still a much better combination with David Cameron and Nick Clegg. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Storm gets backdropped over the top onto Awesome, and then mere seconds after commentary put over their continuity, Christian slips on Edge's back, trying to do a poetry emotion to the outside, and he had to turn it into a helo. Oh god, that looked painful. It was ugly as sin, wasn't it? Yeah. JR says, even a veteran team like Edge and Christian have pre-match jitters. The worst part is, Edge then tags Christian into the match. Why? (laughs) He's proper fucking knackered and he's still holding his back. It's like, oh god, well I guess I gotta come in. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, the heels gain the advantage... Storm baseball slid Christian rib first into the ring post. Another painful looking pump. The ribs get worked over so much that Christian can't even capitalize on a crossbody, and Awesome took Edge out to prevent the tag. He hit an Alabama slam into a jackknife pin, and then an awesome splash literally, an awesome, awesome splash from halfway across the ring. There was some distance on that, I'll I'll give him that. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Edge had to break the fall on both occasions there. Christian finally backdrops out of a super awesome bomb and gets the tag to Edge, who hits the edge dramatic for a near fall. There's a malfunction at the junction as Christian gets knocked off the apron by Edge's reverse victory roll, but he then comes back in to roll Edge over in Storm's small package to get a near fall. JR again here citing, Nothing's quite coming together for Edge and Christian. Edge escapes a double back suplex and does a commando roll to lure the heels into a double top rope clothesline by Christian. Storm then leapfrog the spear, but it still hit awesome for a two count. And then Edge sacrificed himself by eating a super kick that was aimed at Christian for another near fall. Then to close things off, Christian returned the favour by spearing awesome mid awesome bomb and Edge lands on top of awesome for the three count. Edge and Christian win to get the WWF up 1-0. After 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Kyle, your thoughts on this one? So, my first thought, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Lance Storm the legal man? Possibly. They they lose track pretty quickly in in some of these (laughs) matches, especially when the hot tag takes place. I was just like, hold on, that can't count, surely. (laughs) But, you know, there we are. The first thing for me was, with Edge and Christian being... Heels, it was very jarring to see them get a cheer. You know, the the most recent work has all been quite heelish, so the cheer, obviously, because the team WWF, but that I, it felt quite bizarre. I thought it was good, sort of solid opening match. There were times where it did feel a bit rushed, but yeah, sort of solid, solid opening match for me. No, I like this too. Thought it was a nice opener. It's just good tag team wrestling, really. The crowd remained amped up 
all throughout. It flowed really well, and I thought some of the saves of the pinfalls and stuff was really cool. There is a kind of clunkiness to it in places, but they still had some kind of chemistry in there that kind of overcame it. And it does really make sense. These two teams would not have been very familiar with each other. And I think they still made it work, yeah. Vince celebrates backstage by doing Edge and Christian's five-second pose. And he's joined by Commissioner Regal, who tells him Austin and Deborah are here. Vince corrects him. Oh, no, 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 no. The old Stone Cold. (laughs) He wants to give him some space and tells Regal to focus on Raven, who Regal calls a poncy little toe rag. Vincent tries to motivate Regal by talking about the American Revolution before realising that's probably a bad example. <laughs> it, it got a laugh out of me, that. That was, was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, up next, one of my favourite feuds throughout this time. We get the video package for the referee fight! Oh my days. On that episode of Metal, there was a Kurt Angle and Booker T match where the refs started fighting each other in that and my neighbour's granddaughters just could not get over that. They thought this was hilarious. <laughs> there was a fight breaking out in the locker room over where the WCW referees should hang their shirts and then we get highlights of WCW lead official Nick Patrick's shady officiating at Commissioner Regal's behest. Earl Hebner made the challenge, and the match is on for tonight. It's the second match of the show. WCW senior referee Nick Patrick, accompanied by all of the other WCW referees, is taking on the WWF senior official Earl Hebner, along with all the WWF referees. But Kyle, who referees the referees? It's New York Times best-selling author, Mick Foley! What a legend. He had the WCW and ECW logos printed on his flannel referee shirt, so show that he's unbiased. JR alludes to Mick attending to another matter tonight in exchange for refereeing this match. Keep your eye on that. And then hypes up his number one best-selling book, Foley is Good, which was actually my first ever wrestling book. It was also my very first wrestling book. Oh, really? It was, yeah. And what do you think to it? Really, really enjoyed it. It was my... (laughs) This is going to sound really strange. It was my first book that I read where it felt very real because he he had swear words in it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, this is cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and it was like, at the time, it was sort of a step behind the curtain, if you will. Yeah, totally. That was my kind of peek into how the industry worked as well. I know like it's not as good as Have a Nice Day, but I'm glad I read that before Have a Nice Day, because I think it was a little less dense and intense, and like I still got a sense of all these extra things about how wrestling works and things like that and all the little tidbits like him and Diamond Dallas Page being friends I would never have figured that out yeah that's what I like about some of these books you get to hear about relationships that you would never have any idea of because you just think that 
the wrestlers hate each other on the screen and that they don't coexist behind the screen. <laughs> yeah. Earl shoves Nick down, but then gets slapped. So he fires back up by stomping the mud hole and pulling him out of the corner. Patrick shit-cans Earl and Foley has to go outside to keep all of the referees apart. That gets big Foley chance from the crowd. Patrick then appeared to low blow Earl, then baseball slide drop kicks him onto the outside, and the WCW refs pounce. But then Jack Dolan from the WWF makes a save with an amazing flying forearm. <laughs> Foley ejects the WCW refs, and Nick complains, which allows Earl to recover and hit the spear for the free count. Patrick's still complaining after the match, so Mick socks him with a right hand and then literally socks him with the mandible claw. Foley then throws Socko out into the crowd to celebrate, as the WWF have gone 2-0 up after Earl Hebner won in 2 minutes and 50 seconds. This match was exactly what it needed to be. It's not a wrestling match, but it's a great angle, and it gets over the scope of the invasion, as well as giving the crowd some light-hearted fun. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that this match was better than the majority of WCW matches that I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're not necessarily a, a fair judge here. I just like poking the bear, that's all. <laughs> I completely agree with you. I think it did what it needed to do. We knew that it wasn't going to be an incredible match due to them being referees and not trained wrestlers and stuff like that and it did a job it ended the feud or the segment on a happy note and yeah cool <laughs> <laughs> ah now this was cut out from the channel 4 broadcast we get an advert for the next episode of tough enough which seemed to be set in a strip club <laughs> yep everyone goes to a strip club and maven dresses in drag did you ever watch that show, Kyle? I never watched the original Tough Enough. I think... I can't remember which Tough Enough it was. The only one that I seem to remember is the one that had John Morrison in it. And that was on Sky One a few times. But I never caught the original Tough Enough. Right. I'm trying, was, it, was it Tough Enough 2? I think it was 3. 3. Yeah, that was the only one that I, I caught. When it got put up on the network it took me a while to find it but got there in the end because me and Kathy both love our reality TV yeah I found it quite enjoyable I can't quite remember what her thoughts were on it because I think the like kind of MTV real world aspect of it was all pretty good but I think she was expecting like the wrestling side to be a bit more like the challenge like they'd be given more definitive Masks and stuff and yeah kind of lacking there but I mean considering how everybody was like dropping like flies with injuries that's kind of understandable yeah commentary event outline our main event for tonight the inaugural brawl it's a five on five tag team match and we've then shown clips of DDP kidnapping Deborah Thursday on Smackdown then backstage, Deborah bonds with Undertaker's wife, Sarah, over what a sicko DDP is and how badly their husbands will beat them up. Oh, my God. Will beat was... him up. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> 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 
Oh, I tell you what, that little segment was absolute shit. <laughs> Care to elaborate, Kyle? Deborah was way, way, way over the top with whatever she was doing. Sarah just didn't seem to give a shit. And then she said, Mark. And I was like, what, what is this? It's a shoot, Kyle. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Next up, we get the video package for the Battle of the Tag Team Champions. It outlines how the APA have been locker room leaders for the WWF. At one point, Bradshaw proclaimed, There's going to be a fight! I know there's going to be a fight because we're going to start it! And they then led the locker room out to beat up the WCW Tag Champions Palumbo and O'Hare when they were interfering in a Hardy Boys match. The APA made the challenge in WWF New York and Palumbo and O'Hare answered by sneak attacking them from behind. So it's a third match of the night. The WWF Tag Team Champions, Farouk and Bradshaw, taking on the WCW Tag Team Champions, Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare. This is a brawl from the get-go, and Palumbo eats a double spine buster. Sean flipped out of a Farouk suplex and hit him with a major league knee lift. Bradshaw catches Palumbo with... A fallaway slam from a crossbody, but O'Hare then prevents a powerbomb with a high kick and hits a fireman carry spinebuster for a two count. We get a spinebuster from Farouk and a big power slam from Bradshaw, but then a second fallaway slam is cut off by O'Hare. Palumbo then drop kicks Bradshaw into a snake eyes flapjack by O'Hare. Farouk saves Bradshaw from O'Hare's finisher, but then gets super kicked by Chuck only for Bradshaw to charge in with a clothesline from hell for the free count. The APA win as the WWF go 3-0 up after 6 minutes and 48 seconds. What do you think, Kyle? I mean, it was just a basic tag match, very physical. They were all pretty much powerhouses. For me, I wouldn't have had the APA win. Commentary kept building up that these two guys were up-and-coming young and they had a lot of potential in the future. And then the APA beat them. And it's like, mm, okay, well, they then need to go back to the drawing board and work on it a little bit if they're, if they're that good. I see your point. I feel like the APA have been highlighted as like the heartbeat of the WWF locker room. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to put them in a position to lose at this point. Yeah, I suppose in the wider aspect of it, they're going for the WWF has momentum sort of thing, you know, 3-0 up and where is it going to go next? But I just felt, it, you know, it's not a problem, the APA winning, but I just think that if they were going to have the APA win, then in commentary, they needed to just back off a bit about saying, oh, the, you know, new upcoming, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, pulling ball on O'Hare of the newer faces and, they just kind of have to put them over to an audience that might not be too familiar with them. Yeah. And I think, like, even though they lost, this match did kind of work in that way. You know, it's a step down from the opening tag, but I still thought this was good fun. It was mostly a slugfest, but it served a dual purpose in that it helped the audience realise Palumbo and O'Hare are big hosses too. And it also put them in there with some veterans who kind of rough them up and, and show them the ropes a little bit more because even though they'd been put in a really 
prominent position. They're still really, really early in their careers. With Chuck Palumbo, I know that he obviously he he goes on to do quite a bit with Billy Gunn and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I can't really remember much of Sean O'Hare. Does he stay that long? Kind of, yeah. When Chuck started kind of getting paired up with Billy, he went back down to Heartland Wrestling Association, which was one of the WWF's feeder training territories. Yeah. We are going to see him turn up a little bit later on in the Tate Trader Diaries, actually, but it'll, it'll take a couple of years. Hell, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. I will be looking forward in anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you could see the potential from the WCW champs here. It's just, I felt like there was a little bit more incoherence than there was in the opener. Yeah. Vince brags about the annihilation in progress to Chris Jericho backstage. Jericho highlights the lunatic leader, Paul Heyman, who's passing on his mental ugliness to Shane, Steph, and all of their wrestlers. Vince borrows Chris's never, ever catchphrase to close that segment. And then we go into the Coalition locker room, where Steph is practically frothing at the mouth about how much she hates Jericho. And then Heyman is flipping out as well, because we are losing! I love that. WCW Cruiserweight champion Billy Kidman is much more relaxed. He's wrestling the WWF light heavyweight champion X-Pac tonight, and will show everyone why they say X-Pac sucks. And it was very weird, because the crowd did think X-Pac sucked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to see that immediately, because it's our fourth match of the evening. WWF light heavyweight champion X-Pac against WCW cruiserweight champion Billy Kidman. And that means, yeah, Uncle Cracker, baby! <laughs> JR points out that WCW fired X-Pac while his neck was still broken via FedEx and then declares that the partisan WWF crowd will cheer for X-Pac. The partisan WWF crowd then immediately chant X-Pac sucks to prove him wrong. <laughs> Pac handily outwrestles Billy at the get-go, but Kidman eventually gets some riding time in return. Hits a Hurricane Rana, an Inzagiri, and a Baseball Slide Bulldog for a near fall. X-Pac shit-cans Billy and hits a double jump crossbody to the outside, and a spinning heel kick for a two-count. I thought it was appropriate that Jack Doan's the referee for this match, after his amazing flying forearm from earlier in the night. <laughs> like, he is the cruiserweight of the referees. X-Pac missed a senton, then Kidman hits a BK bomb for a two count, and then X-Pac's own power bomb with his feet on the rope gets the same. The one rule of wrestling that you should always adhere to is you don't power bomb Billy Kidman, but sadly X-Pac forgets that and he gets hit with a face buster, which allows Billy to head up top. But then he's X-Factored out of midair, but he only gets a two count. Then the finish comes when the Bronco Buster gets blocked with a foot to the crotch. And Billy goes up for the shooting star press, and that gets the free count. Billy Kidman wins after 7 minutes and 7 seconds to narrow the WWF's lead to 3-1. to one. Kyle, talk to me about this one. 
to start off with, we always talk about it's a bad mix having either two faces against each other, two heels against each other, you know, that sort of thing. Well, X-Pac's a heel normally, and the crowd know that with the chance, but then the crowd aren't going to cheer for Kidman on the heel team. It just seemed very jarring to me that, you know, that's how the crowd would go with that one. There were a few cheers here and there for Kidman, but in the grand scheme of it, it was sort of Boo Central, if if you will. It was a decent match. I sort of expected Kidman to win, just because at this time, Billy Kidman was sort of your top guy at that weight class. And I thought it was a, a good showing for the, the crowd. And yeah, anyone beating X-Pac was cool at this time. Yeah, good good way to get yourself established, really. I see what you mean about the the kind of crowd dynamic, but I feel like there are matches later on in this show that suffer for that a little bit worse than this. Kidman, at least, he wrestled with a exciting style, so some people got turned around eventually. There was a lot of cheers when he got the pin. Oh, the, the shooting star press yeah. popped everyone, yeah. I thought this was highly enjoyable. They packed some good stuff in, even though they had a pretty short allotted time. X-Pac did a bit more of a flying, but he still wrestled like a heel enough to reflect the will of the crowd. And I really liked the counters down the closing stretch as well. It's nice job here, I thought. DDP celebrates the win with his bosses in the locker room. Shane O'Mac has to keep him on track when he started talking about Deborah, but Paige insists that he's in Undertaker's head and in Austin's head, so it's all in the bag. Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler then run through how superior their bodies are to their opponents tonight, Trish Stratus and Lita, and lament that the fans won't see them in their underwear. Though, maybe they could give Matt and Jeff Hardy a private show later on. What a weird... Weird, weird video. I'm going to put that up there with Deborah and Sarah. I mean, when Tori slaps Stacey's ass and says, Stace, you do have a firm ass. And she goes, I know. Like, what the hell? <laughs> what? what are we watching? What's going on? It didn't really feel true to life, did it? <laughs> no, it's like, what? <laughs> like, yes, this is a totally natural conversation. <laughs> this was the Vince McMahon meme. He's oh, behind the camera. And <laughs> oh, it, no. it's just it's him leaning back in the commentary chair just like, like oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Match number five sees ECW's Raven taking on the WWF commissioner William Regal. Regal gets the lead in the early going with a butterfly suplex, and then JR thanks the UK fans for staying up late on Channel 4. No need, Jim. I'd recorded it for the next day. (laughs) Raven rushing leg sweeps Regal into the barricade, and then his first second rope forearm hits, but his second is countered, and Regal hits the knee trembler. Michael Cole, out of nowhere, suddenly pipes up, that Chavo Guerrero beat Scotty Too Hotty on Heat tonight, so I guess that's included in the win count now. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to get to that next. Sunset Flip Counter 
out of a full Nelson goes a bit awry here, and then a reverse elbow is totally fluffed. Regal suplexes out of a DDT, and both men knock heads in the corner. And for some reason, the referee goes outside to attend to Raven, which lets Taz run in with a T-bone suplex. And that sets up Raven to hit the Raven Effect DDT to get the win after 6 minutes and 35 seconds. The WWF are now 3-2 up. Tied 3-3 three three because the heat match suddenly counts. Uh. What a bizarre match. I'll be honest, I felt like this wasn't even needed. I don't want to throw shit on WCW again. But the running with Taz as well. That wasn't even set up. It was just so random. Like, oh, Ta- Taz is here. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, help, help Raven. Cool, pal. And then off he goes. He's like, what? Yeah, this was all very directionless and almost totally heatless. I thought it wasn't bad at the start, but then they almost totally lost their way when they were building to the finish, which, again, was a bit nonsensical. Mm. Well, if this Chavo and Scotty match is so important, I guess we'd better take a look at that as well. (laughs) Do you know, when you were saying in commentary that they brought it up and it now counts, because I I watched that match first before I watched Invasion, Uh and obviously it's obviously then one up, and then I come to Invasion and watch that, and then the first match, it goes, oh, no, now they're one up. And I'm like, hold on, did he not matter? What's, what's going on? I know. Like, to your point earlier about Regal and Raven, that's the one thing about this card. There is a bit of padding in places, and part of it is sort of trying to manufacture wins for WCW, I think. We'll head back to that conversation later on. But, yes, like you say, on Sunday Night Heat, it was WCW's Chavo Guerrero Jr. against the WWF Scotty Too Hotty. What the hell is up with Chavo's drumming music? Mm, very strange. I wanted the classic WCW Eddie Guerrero theme and I'm sorely disappointed I didn't get it. <laughs> How do you feel about this match, Kyle? What, what did you make to it? I'll be honest, I'm glad it was on heat. Oh, right. It was quite average. They sort of hit the spots that you would know their sort of signature stuff. And it sort of flowed through like that, you know. We got the worm at the end. Everyone likes to see the worm when Scotty's fighting. And Yay! Yeah, it was just... Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't feel a yay or a nay after watching it. There was a bit of sloppiness in here. And Scotty's probably got a bit of ring rust because he'd only just come back from an ankle injury. Like, the bulldog that set up the worm, that got totally botched. Yeah. But, I mean, for the standard of Sunday Night Heat, it was still pretty solid. What I liked about this one was Scotty was learning from things that Chavo had successfully done previously in the match. Yeah. So, at one point, Chavo hit a springboard splash, kind of like Ray's battered sausage splash. And the next time he goes for that, Scotty turned it into a power slam. At one point, Chavo hit a hurricane run in the match, and then the next time he tried it, Scotty blocked and he hot-shotted him into the ropes. 
So I really appreciated that aspect of it. The finish of the match kind of came out of nowhere. Chavo turned around a standing switch and suddenly came out with a brain buster and that got the free count. Chavo mm. won in 6 minutes 43 seconds. So they got a decent amount of time. It's kind of missable, so I guess I could forgive them for forgetting this match was a thing until like a third of the way through the show. Yeah, I, I think as well, Chavo looked shocked that he'd won. <laughs> it was like the finish. He stood up and he was like, oh, all right, cool. Oh, me? I, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Another little nugget that will prove important later down the line in the storyline was JR during this match mentioned that Shane and Stephanie had sold their stock in the WWF to fund buying WCW and ECW. Mm. We'll have to see where that goes, but that roughly takes us to the halfway point of the show. So it's halftime question time. And I suppose, Kyle, as a follow-up to our last show when we were talking about modern wrestling, I should ask you about how you feel about Cody Rhodes. Do you know what? I am absolutely buzzing. I remember in episode, say, 20, 21, 22, where I said, fuck you, Cody, (laughs) when he sledgehammered the throne. (laughs) And do you know what? All is forgiven. Oh, boy. All is forgiven. And, you know, people listening to this will be like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. But if you listen to his interviews, he's genuine in saying that at the time he was angry and he was bitter, but he wasn't mature. And he's now mature. He's had his discussions with Triple H. He said that he won't say what was said. The cool... He's admitted that Triple H is his favourite wrestler of all time. Oh, my God. (laughs) We have something in common. Yeah, and also, I just think that they, they are booking him perfectly at the moment. The amount of tweets that we're seeing on, on social media about that pop that he's going to get when he finally gets the belt, or as Miz corrects him, <laughs> the championship. <laughs> if they do it properly, this will be a huge story. It certainly seems to be a success so far. It was one of my high points of WrestleMania weekend. I think because of how incredible Seth is, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Seth. I think he was the perfect person to have Cody come back to at Mania, just because you knew he was in safe hands. And I mean, even like outside of an in-ring standpoint, Cody, who is coming in as like the American Nightmare, as the version of himself that he had built outside of the WWE, coming in, playing off of Seth, who, you know, is supposedly this rah-rah WWE bootlicker, if you believe some people, and, you know, the the way he kind of ham-fists his way through certain interviews. It's perfect! Yeah. I lost my mind when the wrestling has more than one royal family thing kicked in. It's like, you are joking me. Like, it, it's, it's just perfect, because he's almost virtually the exact same person as he was in AEW. Some people got a bit offended by his segment with The Miz and him 
even wrestling the Miz, but I thought it was a bit of fun, like you know, the getting into the back into the WWE vernacular and things, as you mentioned. And I think there's a lot of talk about him doing that on purpose and that being his character and that Vince giving him a little more leeway in a sense of to Cody and his character and the fact that, you know, he's doing it for dad and that it is a belt to him. So, you know, I get that Miz is being the ultimate prick and and correcting him in, in everything that he says wrong, but I sort of like the idea that Cody's the one that says it how you know like different and adapting it like i said i thought it was a bit of fun and yeah it instilled in your head that even though he's back in this sports entertainment world so to speak his mindset is still the exact same as it was when he was outside of the wwe yeah it was a great match with seth i think he's going to be a Big high point for people who stick with WWE for the next little while. Over the past few months, unless Kevin Owens is on the mic, because I think Kevin Owens is absolutely hilarious, it's not often where I will watch Raw or SmackDown for an extended amount of time. I'll whiz through, and if something's got me interest, then I'll I'll watch that segment, and then off I go. But since Cody's been back, I've made sure that I've watched every segment with Cody. I've watched every match that he's done. Just that investment's come back a little bit. It might be a honeymoon period. <laughs> it might disappear after a bit, but I'm all on board at the moment. Yeah, maybe. There's still a bit of a shock factor of him even being there and being exactly the same wrestler just spinning out of the Cody thing my only issue is what do we do with the Roman situation you know if he's going to get the belt (laughs) how beats me I feel like we've highlighted this before building up like padding out Roman's wins with like the challenger of the month or whatever it's fine in the intermediate term and you usually get a good match out of it but it leaves you wondering where he's going to go. I was reading online and I can't think who tweeted it. He had a really cool idea and it just had one fallback. Cody winning money in the bank and cashing it in on Roman, but only for the world title belt because that's the one that he wants. And beating Roman and saying, well, Roman, you've still got your universal. I don't want that of a way of splitting them which is a cool idea but then Roman's not going to drop one bell because then essentially he's going to have to lose twice at some point and I don't think they really want to do that no and yeah just circling back to Triple H being Cody Rhodes favourite wrestler yeah I could kind of see that coming because he kind of put his toys out of the prams like I'm the furthest thing from Triple H imaginable even though I take wrestler's toughest manoeuvre ever and then roll them up immediately to get the win or I give them a win in a tag team match that's not going to mean anything afterwards to throw them a bone and then win in the ultimate feud like yeah no shit Triple H is a wrestler you really really admire I'm going to ignore all the last few things you just said (laughs) 
Undertaker, Kane and Sarah are met by Vince McMahon in the locker room and he wants their best now that they've lost two in a row. Vince recalls ECW beating Kane down like a dog, which causes Kane to duck his head like a sad panda. <laughs> Vince almost seems to forget Sarah's name, so Undertaker chokes him and promises you'll see the best of The Undertaker tonight. When you say about sad panda, I, I just think of the Roy Hodgson gif. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> that that was pretty like good, you. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Match number six. It's six-man tag team action. The WWF's big show for one Billy Gunn and Intercontinental Champion Albert taking on WCW's Sean Stasiak, Hugh Morris and Chris Canyon. And that means because Albert's coming out and he's still an X-Factor, we get double Uncle Cracker. Do you know what? I completely forgot that Albert was the Intercontinental Champion. Oh, yeah. There's kind of this, like, in-between period where they didn't really know what they were going to do with WCW or not, and they were testing the waters with certain people, and they didn't really get an extended run of it because everything's moving forward with the invasion now. He beat Kane twice in a row to get that title, and that was kind of like a like a coming out party for him as maybe someone who's going to move up the card. Yeah. Did you spot the awesome cartoon signs that were drawings of Albert and Rhino? No, I missed that. Ah, oh, they were fabulous. Like they were like cut to fit. Like one had Albert raising his hands like in his in ring pose, and the other was Rhino like doing his face. That was really cool. They were brilliant. JR mentions Stasiak getting blackballed out of the WWF, which popped me. Do you know that story, Kyle? No, go on. He was secretly recording people's conversations backstage as supposedly a rib, but nobody got in. Like, everyone was just weirded out by it. And, like, what the fuck are you doing? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> they shit canned him pretty quickly after that. <laughs> Imagine just recording someone and they're like, the fuck are you doing? I'm recording you, banter! <laughs> <laughs> what a dickhead. <laughs> the heels jump the faces at the start, but then they all get gorilla pressed at once in an ace visual. They're talking this match up as a preview of the main event, just as Billy Gunn hits the electric chair on Canyon, and that's followed by a nice backslide exchange. A cheap shot by Stasiak allows Canyon to hit a nice Russian leg sweep, rolling through into a face buster. Fans chant meet as Stasiak tags into the match, and then WCW try to gang up on a freshly tagged Albert, so Big Show knocks Hugh Morris flat on his ass with the clothesline. Albert hits a pump kick to Stasiak and follows it up with a Baldo bomb, but the WCW team break the fall. Billy hit an impressive fame on Morris. He did not want to bend over properly for that at all. No. Albert is outside the ring checking on Big Show, who's only just got back to ringside after being knocked into the crowd. 
Meanwhile, Stasiak saves Hugh from the one and only with a reverse DDT. He goes for the cover himself before remembering he's not the legal man and then finally lets Hugh get the cover himself for the free count. Stasiak, Morris and Canyon win to give WCW a 4-3 lead, I guess, after 4 minutes and 20 seconds. In the post-match, Morris and Stasiak eat massive one-arm choke slams from the big show and then Canyon takes the alley-oof. Yet another finisher for Big Show. Yeah. I was half expecting Big Show to turn on his team. Oh, he's, he's good for that, isn't he? He's very good for that. <laughs> Talk me through this one, Kyle. That was the most rushed six-man tag match that we're probably going to talk about. There was no build-up for this at all. Just three random guys against three random guys being told, come on, let's get a match out there. Just felt very displaced. It's more of a padding that I was talking about, isn't it? Yeah. I felt like with that gorilla press spot, they were off to a great start and I really liked Billy Gunn and Canyon in there together, but it just descended into a bunch of moves after that and the finish was super cheap. Yeah. Shane McMahon is shining up the belts of WCW United States and World Heavyweight Champion Booker T and is bragging about being up 4-3. 4-3! So this confirms that Charvo beating Scotty Too Hotty counts. Booker asks, Scotty who? Thank goodness Sting wasn't watching this show because he'd be flipping out furious about this, no doubt. You know that story, right, Kyle? Why Sting didn't sign for the WWF? Go on. He was watching Booker T being interrupted by The Rock about a month or so after this, and Rock asked Booker, who the hell are you? And Sting was like, oh, jeez. It's a WCW champion, and he's getting treated like a nobody. Well, shit, I'm going to be out of luck if I go there, aren't I? And I'm like, well, not really, because The Rock's this super arrogant and aloof character. Yeah, very true. Booker brags about having already beaten Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle, and he owns Stone Cold because he's a superior athlete. There is no tomorrow, and we're going to hurt somebody! Tajiri is distracted by an ornament in Regal's locker room before the commissioner himself barges in, talking about how Tajiri stayed loyal and he should take that foul-mouthed toe-rag little gobshite Taz and pull him apart for Regal, for Vince and for the WWF. Tajiri seems to get the message. That leads us to our seventh match. It's ECW's Taz taking on Tajiri of the WWF. Tajiri slides straight into the ring and JR questions that strategy, but he ends up hitting a spin wheel kick and a standing moonsault for a two count. Eventually Taz gets enough presence of mind to hook him in a Tazplex, but then a more traditional suplex is flipped out and a big flurry of strikes takes Taz down to one knee, only for Tajiri to run right into a clothesline. Tajiri tried to leapfrog Taz out of the corner, but gets caught with a massive Alabama slam. But then Tajiri escapes a slam and scores the handspring elbow. A charge in the corner is turned into the tarantula, Kyle! Yeah, old school. 
A follow-up basement drop kick to the face gets a close near fall, and then Tajiri hits Taz with stiff kicks to the chest, only to get caught in a cradle Tazplex. The referee checks on Tajiri, but then gets shoved away, allowing Tajiri to blind Taz with a green mist. And then the buzzsaw kick connects, and that gets a free count. Tajiri ties things up 4-4 after 5 minutes and 30 seconds. I thought this was a really nice and efficient match here. Taz knew exactly how to use his character beats to match up with Tajiri and get him over to an audience that's still trying to get familiar with him. Lots of stiff shots, cool suplexes, and a breezy pace. I thought this made for a great watch. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought it was very good. And if anything, I thought that it was pretty short. They could have easily taken some time from, say, the Regal-Raven match or the six-man tag to go a little longer. I love the idea that Taz was sort of dominating everything and Tajiri had his little comebacks and stuff. Yeah, it was nice. No doubt. I could have gone for more of this too. JR made me laugh at the end. He goes, I don't know where that green mist comes from. His mouth, JR. (laughs) His mouth. (laughs) European champion Matt Hardy is backstage with his brother, the hardcore champion, Jeff Hardy, and he's warming up for his title defence, but seems more concerned about Trish and Lita. Matt puts over Jeff's opponent, Rob Van Dam, for being in his element tonight. So you got to finish it up quick or it will get real ugly real fast. Van Dam then promptly levels Matt in the back with a chair and swings at Jeff and promises that he's next. Okay, Goldberg. <laughs> in WWF New York, Hardcore Holly is doing an autograph signing where one lad approaches him wearing a WCW shirt that you can't possibly buy. Because it's the crappy WWF WCW logo. It's a fix. It's a fix. Holly flips out and tears the shirt off his chest before returning to his Hey man, how you doing? routine with the regular fans. (laughs) Yeah, he just goes Mr. Nice Guy and shakes the little kid's hand. (laughs) (laughs) Our eighth match of the evening is for the WWF Hardcore Championship. The WWF's Jeff Hardy is defending against ECW's Rob Van Dam, making his pay-per-view debut. I was totally unfamiliar with Rob Van Dam going into this. I don't know, Kyle, had you ever seen of him up to this point? I'd not seen anything in matches in particular, but I always knew that RVD was ECW. So it was exciting to see him come in and you know, finally have a match. But when anyone maybe mentioned ECW, it was always Rob Van Dam that I'd be like, oh, oh yeah, cool, RVD. Yeah, I knew him because I knew he was in the ECW video games and I actually had a poster of him kicking Jerry Lynn on our fridge for months and months without even realising who he was just because, like, hey, it's wrestling, that's cool. Yeah. But this would have been my first time seeing him wrestle. Yeah, yeah. I remember at the time, it was like a huge thing because Jeff and RVD were like the biggest high flyers at the time. So it was like, my God, these two coming together now, this is going to be one hell of a match. They kind of talked that through the match as well, how kind of well-matched they are. 
Michael Cole saying, oh, RVD's like the Matrix guy and Jeff's also this amazing daredevil athlete too. Mm. And angry Jeff also slides right into the ring and goes right through RVD's legs. RVD does the splits, so Jeff tries a leg drop but gets kicked in the face. Then both men miss sentons, escape standing switches, and then RVD escapes Jeff's head scissors to give us the ECW standoff. Rob turns his back on Jeff to pose for the fans and gets drop kicked for it. Then Jeff dodges RVD's shoulder block to drop kick him into the turnbuckle. Van Damme sets up for a monkey toss, but Jeff just sits down on him with the compactor through two count. A crossbody is ducked and RVD follows up immediately with a standing moonsault and then the rolling thunder, which gets two. He leaps up to the top rope and Jeff promptly throws him off it into the barricade. But then shockingly, Van Damme meets Jeff's barricade run by also climbing to the barricade and he shoves him into the concrete. That looked nasty. Oh yeah, there's no way you can land good there. He follows up with a moonsault off the barricade at the foot of the bleachers. ECW chants ensue as he drapes Jeff across the barricade and hits his trademark spinning leg drop and gets a hell of a reaction. He gets distracted by the crowd chanting his name, which allows Jeff to sunset flip powerbomb him off the fucking apron. That's another not nice landing. Jeff finds a huge ladder and climbs it, but Van Damme wisely rolls back in the ring and uses his leverage to tip Jeff off the ladder, sending him crashing onto the rampway, which leads to the immortal line from Jim Ross that's used in the Don't Try This At Home ads. How do you learn to fall off a 20-foot ladder? (laughs) Van Damme got a chair, but Jeff swung the top of the ladder into his face and gained possession of the chair himself, whacking him one square in the back. JR then questions, how's he even able to stand is what I want to know. Another don't try this at home staple. Yeah. Van Damme plays possum at the top of the ramp and just as Jeff swings at him with the chair, he hits the Van Daminator and knocks Jeff off the stage. Back in the ring, Van Damme hits a basement dropkick with the chair into Jeff, face first in the corner, which busts Jeff open. He still had the presence of mind to get the knees up from the split-legged moonsault, and then Van Damme bumps expertly for a massive DDT from Jeff Hardy. We get a German suplex and a jawjacker, which sets Van Damme up for the swanton, but he moved out of the way. He then plants the title belt right on Jeff's chest and hits the five-star frog splash onto the belt and that gets the free count. Van Damme is your new hardcore champion in his first reign, which sends the coalition up 5-4 to four after 12 minutes and 40 seconds. JR, after that finish, with a pretty apt quote here, I don't know how many stars you want to give that one at home, I gotta believe that's one of the finest matches I've seen in a long, long time. I've got to agree. I enjoyed it. It was very, very good. It was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. This was a star-making performance for both of these men. It was a classic match. I feel like it was basically like that Tajiri and Taz match, but they tuned it up by a factor of ten. Because Jeff's style meshed perfectly with Van Damme's. 
so it gave Van Damme a platform to wow everyone and both guys kind of became a breakout star after this. Yeah. I thought it was bold that even though it's a hardcore match, they used so few weapons and it paid off handsomely because it meant they avoided a whole bunch of clutter and it just put over the big gambles in this match even more. They stole the show on arguably the most eye-catching night outside of a WrestleMania ever. I love this match. Yeah, I thought that they complemented each other so well and the fact that the crowd were like 100% behind RVD. They were fully on board with everything that he was doing. That was really, really good. I know you kind of heard little smatterings of it for Kidman, but this is like the first time that you saw someone really, really happy for a Coalition member to be on this show. Mm. Kurt Angle meets with Vince backstage and tells him to cut the Americana bullshit. You know what I did in the 1996 Olympics, Vince? I kicked some serious ass. And he'll do it again tonight. Next we get the video package for the bra and panties match. It profiles Tori and Stacy making the challenge. And Kyle, Trish and Lita, can they coexist? Well, as long as they're not smacking each other's asses and saying that it's firm, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> Trish snogged Matt to cause a distraction in her match and seems to be romantically pursuing Jeff, so she's not in Lita's good books right now. But then Tori and Stacy were shown approaching the Hardys backstage as well, so that seemed to unite Team WWF there. We'll see how it goes. It's our ninth match of the evening. Kyle, history has been made! It's the first ever bra and panties <laughs> tag team match. I'll tell you what, I am so glad that they don't have these matches ever again. (laughs) Jeez. It sees WCW's Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson taking on the WWF's Trish Stratus and Lita. Hold on. Mick Foley's music plays. Oh, and he's a special guest referee for this match as well. So I guess that's the favour that he asked for. And he looks super excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) The WCW women's music is almost non-existent. It is so quiet and bare. Yeah. Like, you really have to, like, listen in. Like, especially Stacey's as well. It's just like... Sorry, pardon? What? (laughs) I can't hear you. You have to speak up. The heels hide behind Mick and slap the faces, but then get taken down. Then Tori and Stacy have a fight over who's going to tag in and face Lita, who's the most experienced wrestler in this match. Lita knocks Tori off the apron, drags Stacy in, and rips her top off. She then gives chase, but Tori attacks her and holds her onto the apron, which allows Stacy to take her top. But Lita's less perturbed than Stacy was and starts snapmaring her with her own shirt. Top rope crossbody is dodged, which leads to tags on both sides. Tori stands on Trish's hair with a nasty looking spot. And then that allows her to take Trish's top off. But then in an honestly good spot, Trish uses that to lure Tori into a reverse victory roll and peels Tori's trousers off while she's still in the hold. 
Team WWF then do Poetry in Motion, which allows them to take Tori's shirt off. Then Lita's moonsault is enough to incapacitate Stacy to get her trousers off to win. Lita and Trish win to tie things up at 5-5 after 5 minutes and 3 seconds. There's then a close call at the end when Trish and Lita are heading to the back and they nearly both fall into the pit between the rampways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Look, it gets a point for that reverse victory roll spot, but this is just an artifact of a bygone era, really. I suppose this was their way of getting around WCW's women not having much experience in the ring, but this is one you can skip. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't bother rating this. I didn't like the matches in the first place, so the right team won, that's it. Yeah. We see the Coalition owners hype up their team for the inaugural brawl. It's do or die. History will be made. History. Heyman says they have the chance to show everyone the difference between a failure and a god. A god! (laughs) We finally get a glimpse of Stone Cold in his locker room, looking intense, cracking his knuckles. Vince McMahon approaches him. Austin says he doesn't need a pep rally. He's here to whip somebody's ass. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. That means it's main event time. The video package shows Shane buying WCW where Raw was taking place from the exact same venue as tonight's show. Mike Awesome won the hardcore title in Madison Square Garden. Linda McMahon taunted Vince. Are you afraid, Vince? Are you afraid of a little competition? (laughs) Booker T attacked Vince McMahon in Madison Square Garden. And then we also get Heyman reforming ECW after Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam interfered in a Lance Storm and Mike Awesome versus Chris Jericho and Kane match in an all-time great episode of Raw that we were mentioning earlier. Yeah. That same night, Shane and Vince sent five guys each in a 10 versus 10 match with ECW. But WCW turned on the WWF and Shane revealed that WCW had merged with ECW and introduced us to ECW's new owner, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. Vince realises the gravity of this situation and tries to provoke WWF champion Steve Austin, who'd been nothing but his lackey since WrestleMania into becoming the old Stone Cold. Austin wasn't having any of it and drowned his sorrows at the friendly tap pub. Heyman puts it best here. It's our five best against their five best and their very best. Ain't his best anymore now, is he? Both teams rallied their troops for a company-wide brawl that night on Raw. The WWF led by the APA the Undertaker, and in a chill-inducing moment, classy Freddie Blassie, rising from his wheelchair, declaring, Now is the time to fight! That pisses Austin off enough, and he arrives just as the brawl was looking bleak for the WWF, twatting everyone with stunners in one of the all-time greatest closing segments in Raw history. Holy fuck. <laughs> It's our main event, the inaugural brawl. WCW and ECW are represented, 
by Bubba and Devon, the Dudley Boys, Rhino, Diamond Dallas Page, and WCW's United States Champion and World Heavyweight Champion Booker T. And they're accompanied by the owners Shane McMahon, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley and Paul Heyman. And the WWF, accompanied by Vince McMahon, are represented by Kane, Undertaker, Chris Jericho, Kurt Angle and the WWF Champion Stone Cold Steve Austin. Kyle, I am such a sucker for the alternating entrances for the teams here. Oh, really? See, I'm the opposite. You don't like it? Oh, God. I was just a bit like, oh, I don't know. I think if they were going to fight each other with it being alternate entrances, then maybe. But I think the fact that, I don't know, because the Alliance then had to get out the ring. And then WWE got out the ring for the Alliance to come in. And and so far, you know... If they were going to do alternates, it would have been cool if they stayed in the ring, you know, building the team up one by one. Now, see, I loved it, just like the building, like the rallying of the troops, you know, you have a coalition guy come out, you have a WWF guy come out alternatively. And for me, what makes it work so well is it gives the crowd time to breathe before the next massive pop for one of WWF's guys come out. Yeah, I suppose so. Like, how many times in this segment did you hear Jim Ross go, Will you listen to this ovation? Mm. Yeah. I loved as well when Rhino came out, Heyman was just screaming, Go! 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 <laughs> Undertaker can't stand DDP so much that he jumps Dallas in the aisleway before Austin is even able to arrive, and the brawl is on. Austin soon joins proceedings and gets a piece of DDP before focusing in on Rhino and flipping off Booker T. (laughs) He mule kicks Rhino with the referee distracted, stomps a mud hole and walks it dry. We then get a top rope superplex, which allows Jericho to tag in. Rhino then tagged in Booker, but the Harlem sidekick missed, and Jericho gets the bulldog, then Springboard drop kicks Rhino out of the ring. Kurt joins the fray to massive angle chance, but he's taken down by a leg lariat from Booker, which allows Devon to come in with a spinning elbow. Kane gets in the match, scoring a sidewalk slam, then Bubba blind tags in to have the Dudleys hit the reverse 3D. Kane comes back with the top rope clothesline and tags the Undertaker for his own flying clothesline and old school, which leads to cries of Vintage Undertaker from Michael Cole. <laughs> DDP hangs the Undertaker's throat on the top rope and tags in as JR puts it DDP is the bravest man in America with the Undertaker hurt he keeps hitting clotheslines and for some reason JR's really pissed off at that DDP isn't going to beat the Undertaker with a clothesline <laughs> Booker gets in for the Harlem sidekick but gets running DDT'd We get the hot tag to Kurt Angle, who makes Bubba splash his own brother, and then he belly-to-belly suplexes both guys, only for a cheap shot from Paige to allow Bubba to hit the Bubba Bomb, which sees Kurt play for face in peril. Austin's antics are pretty good here. He flips off the ref after saving the fall on a belly-to-belly, which gets a big pop. JR did not like Booker T's spinneroonie one bit. Then Austin saves the fall again, from a great spinning powerbomb by DDP. 
Charles Robinson starts to take umbrage of Jericho mounting one of the neutral corners to rally Kurt. So Austin pulls him by the hair to get him away from bothering Jericho. The ref in the ring then missed Austin getting the tag after Kurt escaped a front face lock. Finally, Taker loses all patience when Kurt gets downed by the diamond cutter and the whole match disintegrates to a huge pop. Rhino accidentally gores Booker T. Taker chokeslams Paige and Booker injures Austin's leg on the steps on the outside. Charles Robinson tried to restore some order and eats the last ride for The Undertaker who takes DDP into the crowd to brawl to the back. Kane chokeslams Devon through the announce table only for Rhino and Bubba to double suplex him through the Spanish table. Jericho then drives Rhino through a table that the Dudleys have propped up against the barricade by flying off the apron. Bubba and Booker T start devastating Kurt Angle with double teams. But Kurt fires back with a German on Booker and the Angle slam on Bubba. The ankle lock is locked in on Booker, but Booker kicks him off into the referee. Vince then tried to slip Kurt the title belt, but Shane grabbed it and nailed Vince with it. Kurt shitcans Shane and Bubba and then hits the angle slam on Booker T to a huge pop. He locks on the ankle lock and Booker T is tapping. Stone Cold gets the referee, but nails Kurt Angle right in the face. You could hear the air leave the room when Austin did that. Oh, absolutely. We get the stunner on Kurt Angle and the referee, totally confused, still counts the three, which gives Team WCW ECW the win. They're six to five winners over the course of the night after 29 minutes and five seconds. The Coalition has won thanks to Stone Cold Steve Austin. He toasts with the Coalition owners and JR is furious. Well, there's a lot to digest there, isn't there? What a match that was. In a sense, the way that I saw the match, and it's not even the same type of match, but the way that I saw the match was like a Royal Rumble match. In a sense Mm. that everyone had their own spots. And they transitioned into each spot perfectly. It was all really well done. You know, the people that needed to disappear at the times where they needed to disappear all did it transitionally. It wasn't clunky. And the people that needed to reappear reappeared, you know, exactly the same time. Mm, Yeah, really well laid out. This is probably a cliche, but for me, the entrances alone are a must watch in my book. It was just the most consistently intense I'd seen a crowd get for a whole range of wrestlers at this point in my fandom, and it still gets me really, really excited for this match. Yeah. Which is kind of the opposite to the previous Austin turn when he turned on The Rock at WrestleMania. Like, it took me forever to be able to watch that match again without getting the kind of like queasy feeling because it didn't feel right. Yeah you can kind of holistically look at it as being in three segments. You have the opening with everyone taking turns to get their shit in. That was super fun. Then things settled in with Undertaker, Jericho, and finally Kurt Angle playing the face in peril. Then it closes with everything just absolutely breaking down and the team's numbers gradually dwindled with really solid runner spots. 
Kurt Angle getting isolated in this match, it was agonising to watch in real time in this match, but it had me on the edge of my seat. And when he made the comeback at the end, it was so exhilarating. Like, you listen to Jim Ross, it's like, Kurt Angle could win it all! Yeah, I mean, the match itself was, like we say, it was top-notch, but having JR doing the colour commentary just gives it that extra bit that it needs. No doubt. I think my overriding feelings of this match are that this was basically the big litmus test for whether Kurt Angle could fly as a babyface, and he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Austin turning again was such a gut punch for me. It really hadn't been all that long, but the fans were so rabid and electric for the old Stone Cold. That in itself, it should be enough to tell you how miserable it felt with Austin as a heel. I was never a fan of heel Austin. We spoke about it in the in the last episode. You know, the best things that came out of it were his little skits with Angle. But other than that, it, it, no. Not for me. Yeah, totally. So, extending that run just didn't feel promising to me at all. But, you know, I suppose they needed to do something to keep this invasion angle going. And, well, what bigger shock can you have than the WWF champion being in the enemy company? Mm. It'd probably help if it wasn't a guy who would a big vendetta against WCW for being fired, but they needed some kind of shock, I guess. You could kind of see when he was backstage and Vince was trying to talk to him, like, I guess he was trying to put it on a little thick, like, going back to his old ways. Yeah. So, you know, the signs were, I guess, there a little bit, but, yeah, anyway... Despite my gripes of like where the whole storyline could go, on the whole, I'm with you, this was a great match. Absolutely. That brings us to the end of the show. So, as per usual, Kyle, we'll wrap things up. What were your feelings on the show overall? What was your favourite match? And who was your standout performer? So I really enjoyed the show. I really liked the concept behind it. I think that potentially something that would work again in more modern wrestling. I think that the whole invasion concept was spot on. Up to this point, um, I'm not going to discuss where it goes further because there's a few hiccups. But as the as the pay-per-view itself, I thought it was brilliant. I liked the idea that it was WWF against the Coalition and the Alliance. I felt that the matches throughout the pay-per-view we sort of hit beats. You know, it started well, it had a lull, it came back into itself, it had another lull, and then, you know, we hit the main event and we've discussed how good the main event was. For me, the two standout matches, obviously the main event, and then Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy, my standout performer, I'm not going to choose anyone from the main event because I think that that sort of stands out on its own little section for me it was rvd people finally got to see rvd on wwf television and 
like we both said, it was a great showcase for him and it was sort of his platform now to go on and be amazing. This show is just pure comfort food for me. It's one of my favourite periods in wrestling. I think the quality of the matches is overall really good. Like you say, there's kind of dips and peaks and the early goings are all pretty good. Then you reach the Raven and Regal match and the the six-man tag and it felt like they're just kind of like padding out the card for the sake of it. But they couldn't figure out any other way to get WCW enough wins because most of the kind of tentpole matches of the show, the Clash of the Tag Champions the APA kind of really needed to win that based on where they were in the story. Edge had won the King of the Ring. You shouldn't be having him lose something just yet. To Jerry, he's only new. It's only right that he goes over. So other than Van Damme, who's also a new guy winning, and Kidman, who's winning the other kind of head-to-head in the Champions match, they needed to do something to kind of really put over this head-to-head premise. So I could understand why they had some filler matches. Yeah. And I don't think it really it hurt the show overall, because sure, you hit a couple of duffers in the row, but then immediately you get Taz and Tajiri in the hardcore title match. And yeah, then you get the, the bra and panties match, but that's just like a cool down before the main event. And, and the main event really picks things up again. I'll agree with you here, Kyle. The hardcore title match was my favourite match and Rob Van Damme's got to be considered the star performer of this show. I will give special mention to Kurt Angle in his kind of audition as babyface here. Yeah. But, you know, we're consistently full of praise for Kurt Angle on this show, so that should be no surprise to anyone here. Overall, this show gets a hearty recommend. That wraps up another episode for us. Next time, we're going to fast forward all the way to the end of the Invasion Angle and check out Survivor Series 2001. Now, that is a good pay-per-view. We'll see how this compares to the kind of opposite bookend of this rivalry. I'm pretty sure it had... Was it Lita and... Tory, maybe, as the cover. Yes, that's right. That's, yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll see you there next time. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. And give us a like on Facebook to find out when you'll be hearing from us again for Survivor Series. Our episodes are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio and Spotify. Give us likes and ratings and all that kind of good stuff there. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, etc. You can catch up with our show with a playlist that I've made on our SoundCloud page. You can also find a playlist I made of all of my guest appearances on the Raw is Nitro podcast. I recently dropped back in the saddle with Lee there to look at Thunder and Smackdown head-to-head again. Thunder unsurprisingly reaches a new low. It's underground now. (laughs) 
So we'll see you next time. It's a goodbye from Kyle. Goodbye. Thank you again for listening. It's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road.